From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. We actually had just had like a discussion about what to pour, and I hopefully we didn't hurt our guest's fr- uh, feelings. Dude, not at all. Or his feeling. It's I also got age. No, it's, he definitely has I mean, feelings. You know, there is a different sound to pouring a sparkling to start the show than to pour something else, but this sounded like a special occasion bottle because it's a, we have a special guest, or at least... At least he thinks so. Yes. <laughs> Chris Cottrell. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you for having me. How nice Honored is this? Honored and humble. Honored and How humble. How nice. And starting off the day with Tompier Rosé with a, with a year, it, year of age it's, on it. You know, or a, two years of it's age. It's a 19. Which it's, probably most of it doesn't get that much time. I, I, I Honestly, I try and forget where I put these when I buy them. I know. I have some I, buried I, myself. I, I, they they go the distance too. They're not just you know not just one two years. Well, cheers, cheers everyone. Welcome to the winemakers. It's Friday. It's summer. It's yeah. Sonoma. It's beautiful. And we have five bottles of sparkling wine open. And Brian Casey is on special quarantine <laughs> assignment, still and not special. here to enjoy them. Uh, still sending love, Brian. Brian. Oh yeah, it's um, delicious. Yeah. So um. So, should we talk to our guest? Morning. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Hi, Chris. Hi. How you been? Good. What you been up to? I just did a trip to Missouri. Uh, like, my third trip since whatever stage we are in the pandemic. Um, Late stage, mid-stage. It's just really... Forever stage. Yeah. <laughs> St. Louis area? Yeah, uh, Kansas City and St. Louis. I really like Kansas City. That's actually a really good town. Um, not that I didn't like my time in St. Louis, but... Yeah, it's really nice did we have some listeners come and like definitely stalk you a little you bit legends your reach is incredible i don't know about that yeah. but but they did stalk There's you a lot for five five my reach is pretty good yeah no but I, what i was saying is it's nice to be drew tasting wine and pouring wine for people again in person mm-hmm. like i really missed that and i didn't even know how much i missed it until i got it back and, you know, it's just it's very soul filling to see people's reaction and get to talk about your wines. And Did you feel rusty? The first Cause I, the, the only reason I asked is because when we did the hospice to Rhone pouring and that's different than like market visit kind of pours. Yeah, but I mean, they worked but me. I did 10 was, events in four days or something it was like that. A tasting with, you know, 300 people, yeah. the big room, big hall kind of tasting. I got there and maybe, you know. Maybe I was stoned, but I got, I just like, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing for the first couple hours. Yeah. I mean, sure. I I'm a little bit rusty, but you kind of feed off the enthusiasm of people and everyone's was so enthusiastic on all three trips. I was at, um, were you at a steakhouse or something? Uh, no steakhouses. Um, but yeah, just did a lot of like, they called it a master class, which I really didn't. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, it was a great trip. And again, being with people again, who are wine lovers are really good. It's a really lovely experience. I I'm sorry, Chris, worked I'm, my tail off though. They I'm, I'm laughing at Sam. Cause I knew Sam, there's so, uh, you know, there's so many I'm, different, like that was almost like a softball, right? Sam, <laughs> you just, 
I'm trying to. I'm trying to control myself. I'm trying to be on my best. Don't behavior. control yourself. I, you know, we don't have we don't have Morgan to kick around today. <laughs> and um, like I said, the the intellectual gravitas is, is definitely is, down with just me here. You're not. I lean on You're not going to learn as much from this show <laughs> as <laughs> as you might from another one. Uh, but, but it'll be. A, but it's a master it'll, class. It'll, it's a master class in something. <laughs> well, now I'm offended. Uh, <laughs> But it is the first winemakers podcast, uh, Doritos tasting. Yeah, well, yes, I, I, <laughs> the I pairing. Feel, yeah, I feel like people are always asking me for pairings. It's a very popular question, and we have a good, you know, little lineup of under the wire wines, and you know, chips are delicious. <laughs> like Lay's You're are right, good. They are. They're like Lay's are like salty air. You know, like they're almost delicate. Then you have Ruffles that have a little more power to them. You have Dorito Nacho, which is just like an umami bomb, like well engineered. And then Cool Ranch, which is kind of its, you know, brother from another mother. That's also delicious, which I hear you're a Cool Ranch guy over I'm, a Nacho. I'm, I'm taking a Cool Ranch, ranch, over, cool ranch. Uh, over a Nacho. But I yeah. think they go really well with bubbles uh, for kind of a pairing that is you can get at a gas station. <laughs> there you go. Which I did get these chips at the gas station. <laughs> on your way. Didn't actually did you pull in at some point and then realize that you'd forgotten the chips and then have to leave the park and go no, no, I never, and go to go over to across the street to no, no, the shell no. station. Uh, okay. We should start pouring. We should start pouring. Yeah, under the wire. And and chips, chips with bubbles is not a new thing. I mean that's no, like not, one I'm of not, the original. Yeah, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Well, you yeah. are a little bit by yeah. you know. Uh, I um, guess Doritos is a little more out there, but right. I mean, yeah, Roxy. it's you know, salty fried things is delicious with sparkling wine. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, gotta have a little salt. Pass the lace, please. <laughs> so you definitely, it's, it's specific. All right. So for those of you who don't know, Chris Cottrell, a little part, part, partner at Bedrock Winery. Correct. Head, head of, um, hospital, head of, Friendliness at Bedrock. Consiliary. Consiliary. Also, also on my card. Right. Uh, you know, head Goomba, <laughs> Bedrock Winery, uh, and brainchild of Under the Wire. Yep. Which is your single vineyard sparkling wine. Method traditional or collection. method. Yeah. Method Champenois, single vineyard sparkling wines for, from some incredible sites around. California. Truly incredible sites. I yeah. mean, the diversity in these sites, all making the same basic prop uh, uh, product, is pretty amazing. Um, and and you know, and as we've talked before, um, in in you know, making this, <laughs> making sparkling wine is tough. It's capital intensive. Very capital. The way you guys do it, it takes forever to get to the marketplace. Yep. Um, There's a lot of reasons not to make sparkling wine, but right. we decided to anyway. And to be fair, without the support of Bedrock, it wouldn't. It would have been way harder and maybe not even possible when we started it. You know, at the end of the day, we were really lucky to have Bedrock kind of support the early growth and exploration of Under the Wire. Right. It wouldn't have necessarily, maybe it would have stood up on its own from the beginning, but you didn't, it didn't have to. Yeah. You could, you could expand to, I remember the first launch, how many, let's talk about the history of it. Cause we got the 17 in the glass right now. 
when did you when did you come up with the idea when did you convince morgan to let you do the idea uh and and then when did the first because we're like a couple years in now to under the wire it's actually over a decade now wow yeah cool we've been doing it since 2011 so we started it when i was still back in new york um and you know when morgan and i first met sparkling wine was sort of one of our you know we both loved it a lot particularly grower champagnes but also love big house stuff and we you know the first time morgan asked me just as a friend project like hey would you want to make a, a wine together uh sparkling wine kind of came up pretty quickly and morgan was like well that isn't possible um but then we talked about it more and uh we decided it was possible and so 2011 we made one wine and 2013 we made or 12 we made three wines and then by 13 i think it was five yeah so it kind of grew pretty quickly and we were excited by how unique it was at the time there wasn't a lot of artisanally made terroir driven bubbles happening at that point and you know it's rare in california where we've been so influenced by you know the old world to sort of find a category that really hadn't been explored you know in the small production obviously you know the bigger producers have done an incredible job in california like schramsberg is an incredible winery um but we were sort of excited by looking for terroir via bubbles and frankly just to prove whether it would work um so yeah so what was the what was that first wine in 2011 so that was uh brosso because morgan had worked with brosso for a couple years uh for still wine 09 and or 08 and 09 and 10 and you know he described it as like the grapes were like ripe and falling off the vine at like 21 bricks. So it felt like a place where it's very distinctive and there was a lot of flavor in the grapes and depth to the grapes at low sugars. Um, you know, also with limestone soils mixed with granite. So limestone keeps your pH down because of cation exchange. See, I know a couple things, Sam, you know, a couple. Do you have, do you have some index cards over there that somebody wrote for yeah, you? Yeah, definitely my iPhone <laughs> notes. Scroll right. through exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's feeding through his glasses. Spell it. <laughs> C-A-T-I-O-N, I think. Uh, Can't be that simple. Yeah, read on top of this Greek's website. They have a great article about it. Uh, but it was... Once we made that wine, we kind of knew that when it when we tasted the sparkling wine next to the still wine that Morgan had made, there was a kinship there. You could feel the sight in both wines, and that that uh, was exciting. And that Chardonnay, that's no Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yeah, we made Pinot for one year, but yeah, we can. It's it's the the OG vineyard of Under the Wires Brosso, and we still make it to this day. Um, older vines, not by Bedrock standards, but 1980s plantings, dry farmed. Um, it's a pretty it's a gorgeous sight and you know in the shadow of the pinnacles right that's like up that the the east side of the salinas valley up on the yeah up, up in the, the gablin range right. um is this is this also where shalone shalone it's literally right next to shalone and like i think we kind of lean towards in general slightly more extreme wilder sites you know whether you're talking about brosseau which is a pretty rugged place and when john brosseau planted that i mean there was no water up there trucking water up there it was like you know not developed 
And same thing with Alder Springs, which is our second um, vineyard that we brought on for Shard and then ultimately Pino. You know, they get bear damage up there every year. You know, it's it's <laughs> another place that's kind of on the edge of like viticulture, which I think we kind of lean towards that direction a lot of times for sort of vineyards that excite us for making bubbles out of. Um, so the, the the pairing with the with the, the Lay's potato chips is great because it goes well with Tompier too. Just for the record, uh, which I've already drank my Tompier. <laughs> the Tompier is so, um, pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. I want to try it with the nacho cheese right. one. <laughs> <laughs> right, cheese and wine. It's right. a classic. Totally. Pairing. Classic. I'm sure that <laughs> sure that Lulu would totally approve. <laughs> uh, so, Chris. When, what year did you come on board with Bedrock? So unofficially, I started coming out in 2008 to help Morgan with Harvest. I'd been out, I think, in 05, 06, just to hang out and, you know, see Bedrock. And we were close, pretty close friends by that point. But 2008, I came out and worked Harvest with him at the old chicken coop. Right. Because, um, frankly, he needed the help. He was a one-man show. Uh but then I officially came out Harvest in 2012, worked Harvest, went back to New York to close out OND uh, with uh, Crush, and then moved out full time in January 2013. And then proceeded to, um, two weeks after I arrived and moved across the country, go to Champagne and Burgundy and the Northern Rhone and Piedmont. So it was a pretty nice entry into california before my boxes were unpacked i was going to champagne was that was, for r&d for the record yeah. it was very R&D was that for, you guys if, if like your listening. yeah um so morgan myself joel and actually um james hall as yeah. well um and so what was the uh i mean you've obviously had been to california specifically where did you move to so at that time uh with my partner at the time um we moved to San Francisco, which was partly for her, partly because, you know, I was definitely a city kid. Yeah, well, that's eased, eased your transition to. Yeah, and I don't mind commutes. Like, I, I actually kind of enjoy them sometimes, right. and it's not that bad. It's living in the hate. Um, I was wondering what was your culture shock from moving from. Well, the other thing, too, to is here. that I had my bedroom at Morgan's house. Like, you know, when Morgan bought his house, he's like, here's Chris's bedroom. So, like, I spent a lot of time, particularly during harvest, staying up in Sonoma. But right. the biggest culture shock, uh, I talked pretty fast. I still okay. talk pretty fast. Uh, I had to slow that down. I also learned that cursing isn't as much part of the culture here. I, I had a pretty... Fuck that. It is on, it, it is on this. <laughs> you can swear on this show. But like, You can drink, eat chips, and swear on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Just all I, at the same time. Apparently. <laughs> after that trip that I went to, that first trip that we went to Europe together, I came back and went to this restaurant in San Francisco called Catonia, which is amazing. And it was like three days after I got back, and the waitress was like, the Agnolodi is amazing. They're better than what you'd find in Piedmont. And I was like, well, I was just there <laughs> five days ago. Let's see. And they brought them out and they were incredible. Like certainly, you know, at least in the running. And I, the way the server comes over and is like, what'd you think? And I'm like, these are fuck you delicious. And she immediately was like, oh my God. Oh my God. What's, I, we'll, we'll fix it. And I'm like, no, that's a positive thing. Like, <laughs> that's the nicest thing I've ever said to somebody. <laughs> but like, I'm from Staten Island. And, you know, culture shock, I don't think I had like major culture shock because 
I mean, I was welcomed with such open arms here and love and support from not just like Morgan and Joel, but like the whole village of Bedrock was just, you know, unbelievable, supportive of me. And uh, yeah, it was. And also we I landed and pretty much we didn't stop for, I don't know, five, six years of just, right. you know, working, working pretty hard. You know, in 2013, we built a winery, right. um, you know, and. We grew a lot in that sort of from when I came out here that 13, 14, 15, 16 vintages. Yeah. It was a it was a pretty crazy run that was exciting, but definitely had some of that adrenaline rushy, you know, building a business, New York sort of feel to it, even though we were in, you know, beautiful Sonoma County. Right. Yeah. Um, can we go back to the beginning? Oh. Because you know, we've uh, you've been on the show a at least this is your third this is your first solo run first but, solo once before I once think. before with yeah. with morgan and, and we definitely talked about you the second time we had Morgan. yeah and, and, and i think know, i was I, texting live during that was show. that what was, oh yeah because yeah. it was an under the wire like release day or yeah, something. yeah that's what it was and yeah. that's when we said all complaints go to uh joel at joel once at onceinfuture.com <laughs> but hold off on the complaints because uh joel joel's good but we we want to hold off on the complaints to joel and Sending right. love your way, Joel. He's like okay. my adopted dad. All right. So love. send complaints to uh, Chris at bedrockwineco.com. I'll, Perfect. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm taking him this week. Forward him to Jackie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my hero, Jackie. Um, that you... that first episode when you guys were both on, that's a hard episode to listen to because, man, we had a good time that day. <laughs> but you and it's... we were at the Roan Room. Yeah. It was the salad. And way back. Was, yeah. Way yeah. back. Yeah. And I, I felt very special. I think that was my it was, second podcast I ever been on. The first one never got released because I think I wasn't good enough. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you've you've come a long way. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but you have come a long. Let's the yeah. you grew up in Staten Island. Was wine part of your like on your table growing up? Was it like part of your early life and you know family culture? Yeah, I grew up in Staten Island and then a place called Warwick, New York, which is about an hour north of the city and no um my great grandmother made wine in the bronx in her backyard but i didn't really know about that you know and there was certainly like box wine in around but no no you know yellowtail you know that my mom would drink but nothing supermarket wine yeah yeah supermarket wine and but i there was i early on did fall in love with cooking like i asked for an all clad pan for my 13th birthday um so and you know i i still have that pan by the way uh they last a long time but you know so i brought to you by all clad and then i i started working at a beer store i started working at a beer (laughs) i wish i had that sponsorship frito lays uh i started working at a beer store when i was 15 which a made me definitely more popular in high school (laughs) But B and, and you started brewing. Were you brewing? No, I didn't brew. Um, oh, you mean a beer store, like, like a place where you beer. buy okay, beer? Got it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it made a you lot popular. of thirty packs yeah. of Bud Light. But they also, you know, that was kind of, you know, we're talking, I don't know, early two thousands, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. That was kind of when the micro brews started coming on the scene, which now is like craft beer. But so I started actually getting into those, <laughs> and like, so like the wine transition kind of made sense, like. Once I got into wine, it sort of made sense to me, and it was it didn't feel 
it felt incredibly foreign in one sense, but also kind of, I kind of got it. Right. So you're working, you're selling 30 racks of Bud Light <laughs> and six packs of dogfish head, I'm imagining. Yeah, that's a great uh, one. Magic hat. Magic yeah. hat. Yeah. Uh, so then I go to college in New York. Okay. So I moved, I, I went to college a little early. So I moved to Manhattan when I was 17. Um, yeah. And that's, that's how I ended up in New York proper. Underachiever went to college. Yeah, wait, wait, uh, what did he try to just wait, slide just that under slide the wire? It was totally. You know, a, the sixteen hundred SAT score helped. I guess. No, um, no God, no, no. no you should the, the, the GED and my juvie parole officer said, "Hey, why don't you go?" <laughs> <laughs> this I guy mean, needs some direction. Not, not that. In some ways, not that far <laughs> off. But no, it's just it's a New York birthday thing um, that you're allowed to go into school the birthday cutoff is until december 31st so i was right on the line at december 19th so i was only the Your first birthday is december 19th yes it's my parents anniversary oh that's sweet i think it's a great day yeah it's a good day uh but yeah so that's how i ended up in manhattan when i was when i was you know pretty young but yeah right. nothing crazy i wasn't smart enough to skip a year of high school by any stretch okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was all going to make sense, <laughs> but fine. We'll have to keep digging deeper to how the legend of Chris Cottrell happened. There's, there's uh, a little more that's still there. So you're 17, you're in Manhattan. Is that when you start working at Crush? So for the first semester, it's really hard to get a Manhattan job when you're 17. And like, you know, my mom is an incredible woman, a professor, but, you know, my dad, my dad left and left us with a lot of debt. So, you know, she was doing everything that she can to get me into college and support me as much as possible. But, you know, Manhattan's an expensive place. Um, so I needed a college job and it was really tough when I was 17 to find anything. So kind of did a little hustling, if you will. But then once I turned 18, um, I, you know, was just scanning Craigslist for a job and, you know, I applied to a video store, I applied to a grocery store, and then ultimately there was this wine shop on the Upper East Side where that was hiring, you know, a delivery and stock person, you know, stock shelves and, you know, deliver wine on a hand truck on the Upper East Side and, you know, paid 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, oh, I know how to use a hand truck. I, I'm really good at that. <laughs> you know? And so went into the wine store, I think, because I've always kind of looked pretty, pretty older <laughs> uh, and they interviewed for it. And the general manager gave me the job. And then afterwards was like, how old are you, by the way? And I was like 18. He's like, holy, OK. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how that was the first wine store I ever worked at was called Pet Wines. But oh, but still, you were Pet into one. I, t Paul's told stories about this place going there with Tony in the and there was like it was a wine shop and like a like a pet adoption next door or something I, like we, this. We definitely carried Tony's wines. Uh, I remember that very distinctly. Um, yeah, it, I think the importer for you old older folks out there was a guy named Willie Gluckster. And he said it's it's the only wine store where you can buy a great German cabinet while watching a dog take a shit because there was this window into the playroom of all the dogs. So some people said it smelled a little off. Maybe I just had, you know, smell blindness from it. But great place to sell natural wine. <laughs> it was, that's the thing. I was so lucky because Pet Wines was a curated selection of wines. Like the only Tete Cuvée champagne we, we had was Krug and Dom Perignon and it was all grower champagne. You know, there was amazing German selection, amazing Cru Beaujolais section, you know, <laughs> really 
passionate wine buying. And this was what what year was this? 2004, January 2004. And and so when you walked in there, were you still a beer guy or did you were you hip to this? Were you like did you walk in there and go, holy cow, look what they carry here? I went in being like, oh, my God, I can clear 160 bucks a week. That was like my first. <laughs> that, thing. that was it. That it was, was a big deal, you know, yeah. where I was like, oh, I have some pocket change to like, you know, go out and, you know, do fun things. But within the first week, um, Phil, the general manager, Phil Kodak, Kodak, um, he called me over from stocking shelves and he was tasting with a rep and he was like, I want you to taste these two wines and luckily phil and the owner of the store had a very european sense of the drinking age let the 18 year old yeah stock yeah. boy it was super cool the, which is very yeah. new york like the drinking age in new york is always more flexible than i think a lot of other places in the country but he called me over and he poured i tasted two wines and they were completely different and he was like they're both chardonnay one is from california and one is from chablis and i was like you know, like it, it, I think that like that wick was lit yeah. and, you know, that that's and then there was this other guy working there that kind of had a big influence on me as well. <laughs> My entire life, maybe someone said. <laughs> Don't want to say that person's Go name. on. <laughs> uh, his name is Morgan Twain Peterson, MW, but he wasn't an MW that yet, but he was just but he a, acted like it. <laughs> Certainly. He was a he's he was a snappy dresser back then. And I remember one Sunday he came in and he was in this like beautiful, like three piece suit. Looked great. And oh, wait, he's how old at this point? So he's five, four and a half, five years older than me. So he's like he's still in grad school at that point. So I'm going to say grad 20, school, 20, dressed 20, snappy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally a snappy dress. Preparing for his life in academia. Yeah. Right? And Joel's a snappy dresser yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think he inherited part of that, but. He, I just remember him coming. He's like, man, I'm so hungover today. And I was like, why'd you put on that suit then? He's like, yeah, people won't think I'm hungover. Dressed as like this. <laughs> the best life lessons I ever learned. I was great. up. Yeah. So we became, he, Morgan was working there during grad school because he, he was thinking that he was going to be a history professor. That was sort of, and I was at that point planning on going to law school. Um, and, you know. I would have hired you as a lawyer. Thank you. All right. Um, who knows? I mean, maybe one day. Okay, maybe I'll need to. Yeah. All right. We, we should probably keep pouring or else keep, we're never going to get through these yeah. wines. Um, next up, the whatever Brosseau, it says. So, you can so, see so that was the introduction to Morgan. Yeah. And we became, you know, we were working at a relatively slow local wine shop and we just became really good friends. Um, you know, and he, him and Phil were just so generous. And that's a theme of my wine life is generosity of, of people that I've, around me and met just teaching me stuff letting me read books while i worked and tasting wines and bringing the wines home and yeah it, it was i was pretty pretty into wine and the wine scene by the time i turned 19 i mean i was a, that store closed because it lost its lease but you know by the end of it i was 18 19 and i was a closing manager i had keys to the place which right. i definitely was not responsible enough for but <laughs> you know it, it was it was a pretty crazy year and a half that i worked there yeah um, that really again like that was the tap root of yeah of the rest awesome. of my career and a lousy neighborhood too upper east side you know it was right it was interesting it was right on this interesting border there's these kind of weird borders in new york so it was on 91st in between first and new york and i mean this is certainly speaks to sort of kind of the divide that happens in these sort of cities there was these like you know 
five million dollar condos yeah that overlooked the projects you know so it was right on this line of divide but next door was a place called eli's the vinegar factory where they grew lemons on their roof and it's the first place i ever had a brie and butter sandwich so that really stuck with me but yeah it was you know it was fancy but also you know not as fancy as like say fifth avenue in 76 no i'm former upper west side so oh whereabouts uh 86th and central park west it's pretty nice it's a nice area man it's pretty nice i enjoyed it uh, so what chip should I have with the Brousseau? You know, I would go because it's more powerful. No, we just I would had say. the Brousseau. No, we started no, with no, the Elder Scrolls. Alder, Alder. Oh, we did. Start yeah. With Alder. Okay. I would go Ruffles because okay. it's a little. I feel like Ruffles have a little more power to them than the Lay's. Right. You know, and Brousseau definitely has more power to it with the granite and limestone soils. Warmer than Alder. You know, Alder's a little more mineral driven. Um, more like green apple versus Brousseau, which is more red apple and has more spice to it. And just a richer wine in general. And a richer wine in general, yeah. yeah. Which I, that's the whole point, right? Like when we first started working with Brosso and Alder Springs, it was like, well, these vineyards are about six hours apart on different soils, you know, both at elevation. But if these two wines don't taste significantly different, it's like, oh, this terroir, it was sort of a proof of concept and it, it worked. Go as far away as you could. Yeah. Go to the extreme, go to the edge. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, I see cool. a lot of I see a lot of nods happening mm-hmm. with my with my morning pairing. They both they both just complement each other so well. Yeah, I haven't driven into the you know tasting the other one with the other one, but um, it's it's a texture thing also. I mean, the Bruchot has more texture, yes. And so therefore, even just the texture of the chip, it's yeah. de- you know it's Alder Springs. I definitely think is more like people can wrap their head around it a little bit more. Um, Brosseau is a little bit very different and very Californian, which is what I love about it. And yeah. when, you know, it has like the most distinctive nose, I think, out of all the wines we make. Like there's this, it smells like the drive up to the vineyard where you get this like Bay Laurel or Laurel Bay. And, and there's actually a peppercorn tree along the drive. And, there's always there, and again, I don't think this is because of the pepper tree, but there is always a spiciness to chili pepper, peppercorn sort of thing to Brosso. Can can you, for our listeners, and this recently just came up, can you explain to those that don't know just immediately where the pinnacles are, you know where it is, what side of 101? Yeah, so you're um, on the east side of 101. Um, so you have the San Lucia Highlands to the west, big valley of a lot of agriculture. Mm-hmm. And then the Gabalin Range to the east and, you know, Steinbeck country, we often call it. Um, and yeah, so you're you're, you know, technically the town that it's in is Soledad, which used to have the best sign. Uh, it's all happening in Soledad. Happening. Yeah. Which it was a big, it was kind of like, was it like a neon, it was like a big bright color. Yeah. 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 Very late 70s. Yeah. It's not there anymore, but I was always like. Man, I gotta find the happenings in Soledad because right. it's all <laughs> right. happening there. Right, <laughs> not so, my experience. So you get off one hundred and one at Soledad, and, yeah. and you and head east. east. Yeah, yeah, head east, kind of deep into the up like to eighteen hundred feet, um, and the pinnacles are just gorgeous. It's like you know, beautiful vineyard, beautiful wine. Certainly applies to that place. So, so elevation, but I, I don't, I think of that as potentially being a pretty warm place. Oh yeah, yeah, but the limestone, you know, limestone keeps it fresh um and also you know even though it's a warm place you know i don't know the exact reason but 
you know, you think of a warm fog wind. And like, yeah, I mean, you're generally above the fog layer there, which is why it's warm. But because the grapes, it's so low cropping. I mean, if we get a a ton an acre, a ton and a half an acre off it, we're, we're, we're feeling pretty good per acre. But it has so much intensity even at lower sugars, right? Because you worry that if it's a place is too hot too quickly, you're not getting real, you know, flavor development. Whereas the grapes are so concentrated at 19, 18, 19 bricks at when we're picking that it works, you know. But again, it does make a, a fuller, richer sort yeah. of style sparkling. Mm-hmm. All right. So Pet Wines loses its lease. Yep. Morgan's heading west. Yep, yep. Oh five, he came out to work harvest at Ravenswood, and then in oh six, went and kind of did stages in France, France, and um, Australia. And and is stopped by Tampier. Actually, is that around the time? That's the the crush period. Yeah, yeah that started um, the crush period. It was funny because by that point, because I had a way oversized ego. Um, at 19. Can you explain that a little more? <laughs> I mean, go into detail. <laughs> a New Yorker who by 19 had a key to a wine store. You know, it was, I was a bit much probably back then. Uh, it's just that your responsibility was growing to match your ego. I was confident, overly <laughs> confident. Uh, uh, but so I, I, there was, you know, a former cashier at Pet Wines got this job at Crush Wine and Spirits, which was on 57th Street. Um, you know, and I, I really thought I knew about wine. You know, I felt really confident. But I walk in there and I have my like suit on. I'm like ready for my interview. And I go in there and the, the person interviewing me is this guy named Tom Stevenson, who now is the managing director at Rare Wine Company. Um, but I go in there and like it's this big wall of wine. You know, there's a the cube in the back, which is this temperature controlled thing. It's just like a very like, you know, very it's a, different story. Super modern. I mean, I remember going into yeah. Crush, you know, maybe 2008, 2009. And it was like the my memory. And this is my memory is questionable. My memory was that like the racks were all made of glass. So it was kind of invisible. It kind of looked like the bottles were sort of floating were, on the wall yeah, or something they, like yeah, that. It was like the first place that kind of did that. Um and the serpentine wall yeah, is what they yeah, called totally. it. Um, so, you know, part of the interview uh, was like walking the wall and like just get, at getting asked random questions. And at this point, I was like, oh, man, this is very different than Pet Wines. And I, you know, he brings me to the Beaujolais sort of section and he's like, so tell me about these wines. And I like froze. You know, I had drank Beaujolais before, but like it's this big selection of Cru Beaujolais. And I was like, uh, he's like, OK, don't worry about it. And takes me down and he shows me the Chateauneuf de Pop section. I was like, OK, I know Chateauneuf de Pop. And I was like, oh, I was like 2003. It's a warm year. And he's like, oh, good. OK. And then did a little tasting real quick. Um, and I kind of I, I kind of nailed the tasting like I, I was able to describe the wine pretty well. And so the ego grows. So, yeah. Well, I was but I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally um that, i definitely walked out of there thinking, that, that too I, I definitely something you're blowing in something you're blowing out i definitely <laughs> didn't think i got the job or at least was nervous about the job and there, there's some controversy of who hired me but actually morgan had put in a good word um for me with one of the owners drew nieperant so 
um, I think that helped. Um, and yeah, in 19, I started working there. And again, very European sense of the drinking age there, luckily. Although there, I had to put my wine purchases under my mom's name. So Rita Fleming Castaldi <laughs> bought a lot of wine in, uh, in those early days of Crush. There it is. Yeah. My, it's my, another place that uh, had a big, 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 big impact on my life. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, I, I think, I mean, that was a place where like, there was people showing up who were Dude. buying wine. Dude. I think the reason that I was there was was Cayman brought us there. Yeah, I met. That was the place I met. That was the first place I met Robert. And your dad came right. in with him, yeah. and they were very happy and um, very jovial when right. they came in. And I was probably there hiding in the corner, right? Because I was like a kid from Reno, but yeah, just smoking Cayman's hash on the streets of New York. It was it was an incredible place. I worked with. You know, and basically 19, 20, 21 was working there part time. I was, again, a you know, stock person, delivery person. But I kind of by 2021, I kind of started working the floor and selling wine and learning more. And they were, you know, the owner, everyone was so generous. Bobby, the owner, was so generous of opening bottles, you know, so I was tasting even at 20. I was tasting, you know, crazy wines um, like I remember on New Year's Eve, I was working in like 82 Cristal opened up and I could still smell that wine. You know, I was 19, I think at that time. And, you know, there was just a lot of excitement and the wine world is, was in a very exciting place in that 05, 06, 07 sort of years. And Crush was really at the time kind of on a lot of the forefronts and had a lot of really young talented people with a you know managing owner who kind of let everyone flourish there and grow into roles so by the time i was 21 22 i you know i had a little bit of college left and i kind of just started talking about me potentially going full-time and then yeah when i was 21 22 i decided i wasn't going to law school and i was like oh, i can go back and you know two three years and finish up then and you know when you work at a wine store in manhattan you meet a lot of lawyers and Let's just say they didn't seem to really enjoy their jobs. That also had an influence <laughs> on me. Um, but yeah, 21, 22, I went full time and it was like, you know, pretty decent salary. I could afford to pay my rent on the on my own. And, you know, I had health insurance, which was really important to my mom, even though I was dropping out of college. And yeah, I was Ian McFadden was the finer rare wine director. And then it became the finer rare wine department with me as the finer rare wine specialist. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up staying there until I moved out here. And there was a, there was a, a Lyle Fass crossover oh. there too, right? Oh yeah, Lyle certainly was a big part of hiring me. Um, oh, so he was there when you got hired? Yeah, okay. yeah. He was the he was the first wine director there, and Lyle uh, just an incredibly enthusiastic, <laughs> very New Yorker. I love the episode you did with him because it just and it just took you me mean, back. Were we just let him talk and sat there and listened for an hour and a half. He dropped some good stuff. And I, yeah. I, you know, and Lyle was just another mentor in so many that were along the way for me that just got me inspired about wine. And like the passion with a lot of people there was so infectious, you know, like it was, there was an energy there and like a, a, a growth there that was, and Lyle was a, a big part of those, those early days when yeah. I was there. It's definitely, I mean, it's to the, we got some 16600 into Crush eventually in the early days of being in New York, but it was always like, 
one of those sort of beacon wine shops, at least in its, you know, in those that sort of period. Totally. And like winemakers would come there. Yeah. Like, so I got to meet a lot of the world's great winemakers, you know, who would not only, you know, not only meet them at like industry tastings, because New York's obviously one of the centers of the world for for wine. So everyone comes there, but they would literally come into the store or even crazier is I would go out to winemakers dinners with, you know, like Richard Jeff of Dom Perignon and, you know, and be in the private room at Danielle with $400 in my checking account, drinking 69 Dom with foie gras. Like it was, I mean, talk about in my men's warehouse suit, you know, like this meal cost more than my rent. Yeah, it was crazy, you know? And I think it was, it definitely was a different time in sort of the, that level. I think it was, it was not as exclusive. I mean, it was still exclusive, but just a little less so in some ways. Um, Were the consumers then still European based? Meaning New York always was heavily New York or European leaning. And I still think today, but it's changed a lot. But yes, I mean, Crush was a very heavily European focused wine store, along with sort of on the kind of fine and rare trading side, you know, more the widget sort of wine selling world. You know, we had a lot of cult stuff. Right. Yeah, go. Um, so I'm going to go side by side because I got two empty glasses. So should I go? Yeah, either way. 13 Hirsch. Yeah, I brought the 13 Hirsch because um, it was a big deal for us in our third vintage to get Hirsch. And we worked with it for four years. And the fact that David and, and Jaz- Jasmine believed in us. Um, well, 2013 is kind of like height of Jasmine and pursuit of balance and that whole like yeah, movement happening. I mean, right? Even even before that, I loved the Hirsch wines and I had met Jasmine in New York um, when she was doing a winemaker dinner. But it just it felt like a an ask that just was like, oh, let's go crazy and see if we can make Hirsch Pinot. And, you know, we went up there and they agreed. And um, but this was a wine, our first vintage that it took me eight years to release. So I released the 14, we le- released the 14, 15, and 16 before we released the 13 because it was just one of these moments where I was like, it's not ready. It's not ready. And like I, I felt that I had, you know, I had to really do right by the vineyard and it, it took eight years for it to come around. And now I think it's... Okay, know. Chris, I'm, I'm trying, gonna, to, I'm trying gonna, to think about the 13 vintage. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask the question that I know our listeners are wondering is what did it do during that time? Like wh- what was it that you didn't like about the wine that you didn't want to release it and when or, or what was it that made you go now it's ready i think if you can describe that. yeah no there's always magic in wine um that i'm i'm not as i kind of love and i i lean into the sort of unknowns of why exactly everything happens we know a lot but not all i think what can happen it's a pretty you know disruptive thing to do secondary fermentation like you know if you taste a wine that just is through secondary fermentation it's like what the heck happened here you know and even over a year or two or three the wine can feel very disjointed and where it's kind of parts aren't clicking together and this wine just always felt like it wasn't clicking together but for some reason i really believe that if we were patient with it um it would come together and it was it was so clear when it did, you know, we check in on it every year and it was like, nope, nope, nope. And all of a sudden it was like, aha, it just opened up and blossomed. And, you know, now I think it's, I, I mean, I, I'm really proud of that wine yeah. and that we had, that we, we had the patience, right? That was because right. 14, 
that took that took you know 36 months and we're like oh great let's disgorge this you know 15 16 same thing you know maybe a little bit longer but you know 13 just needed needed its time to figure yeah. itself out much yeah. like humans right some right. people mature quickly yeah, at 16 right. other people don't mature until they're you know 32 like sam some people are still waiting uh <laughs> Do you think it was something about the 13 vintage? Do you think I don't that know. you guys learned something from the 13 vintage that you applied in, in pick dates and vinification in those previous years? Or is it just like the That's unexplainable? Really it's got this like, it's like uzu citrus. I haven't even tasted it yet. I just keep smelling it. I don't, I don't even want to taste it. But on the palate, there's that very... I think Sonoma Coast sort of Pinot character. Almost like the Alder is a little bit more brighter red fruit, whereas this kind of more like deep red fruit. There's this, I always say there's this blackberry bush on the way to Hirsch that I would always stop at. And on the right day, you get the right, it never really fully ripened, but you get the right one. And I always joke that this has that character in it. You picked a handful and threw them into the bin. <laughs> that, that's how this works, I mean, right? I mean, that's a, that's a trend, right? You know, the co fermented. Co fermenting with yeah, fruit. Man, I, Fucking love it, man. We're getting weird. It's great. Right right next door to Bedrock Winery. Yeah, exactly. It's real weird. Uh, it is brooding. Yes. This yeah. wine. Yeah, there's power to it. Which, yeah. you know, Hirsch is all, is often thought of as a, a cold site. And it's not a super warm site. But when you come up out of that, the Myers Grade Road, and get above that fog line, like it's can get warm up there you know and that's i feel like in the hirsch pinots you know reds that i've had there is this sort of power behind the finesse that i think is really unique to that that area of pinot again such different wines these two yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. idea yeah it's the idea. what chips uh i kind of feel cool ranch ruffles i think would be good but i mean we can go to get a little weirder and go cool ranch <laughs> I think the Cool Ranch might. I mean, there's there's a ton of um, umami and like yeah, yeah, and I think that has partly to do with the the age. <laughs> You're trying, you know, Doritos would have been like a John Myers agency client in the, the height of the Chicago advertising days because you know everything about them that is as terrible for you as Incredible. all the rest of your clients were. Incredible from. packaging. You don't need any letters on a Doritos box, bag and you know what it is. It's, inc right. it's incredible design. Mm. I, think, I think I'm giving too much credit to Doritos. <laughs> uh, you know. I, I mean, without yeah. getting too geeky on it, it, it totally compliments it. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, because to me, this wine has like a warmthness to it. Yes. And I don't mean alcohol. It just has a warmthness mm -hmm. to it. Like, you know, like, um, like a hug, and that just like seems a Chris to raise Cottrell it. hug. Like a Chris Cottrell hug. Aww. Um, Glad and those that are just back raises now. it. Yeah. yeah. So if the podcast listeners want to buy um, <laughs> under the wire, Chris, where would they go? Do you have some stuff available? I know you guys do, you know, a release yeah. every year. Um, but do you have some stuff available now and will you match chips for them? Yeah. <laughs> Can you have you figured out how to pack a bag of Doritos in every <laughs> box that you send across the country? I remember a, a Psalm friend really took care of me in New York and I sent him a thank you bottle with a, a bag of salt and vinegar chips, a bottle of champagne. So this is this has been a long history. Me. Uh, we don't have a, a chip program for direct. 
release, but maybe you're right. Maybe I should institute that. But if you do go to the Joseph Lee Hooker house, our tasting room, you you can do a uh, caviar and chip where we have like kind of a big box of chips that you can select from fancy ones to my trash ruffle side of my, you know, the high low side of my experience. And you can have three different under the wire wines with three different caviars and your selection of chips. Um, but when it comes to buying wine from under the wire, it's under the There's nothing on the site, but shoot us an email. We'll find wine for you. You know, we got, we got some stuff in the stash. Can we talk about the, um, the multiple innuendo and definitions of, the name and where where that came from and and also the label um you know because i love the label the uh the whole fibonacci sequence well yeah i mean and also going back to your comment bart of there's a warmth to this wine it's sort of morgan and i never wanted to mimic champagne right we wanted to make california sparkling wine that spoke to vineyards and places in california you know be inspired by champagne but truly make california wine and that's one of the reasons there's no no French on the label, which confuses people all the time. They're like, I've never had a sparkling Chardonnay before, but I love Blanc de Blanc. And it's like, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> turns out. Yeah, turn, <laughs> turns out. But um, then, first of all, coming up with a name is so hard. <laughs> I mean, again, going to you, yeah. Sam. You what know. the hell is my the winery? Yeah, yeah. Where do I work? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's great. How do I get How do I get home? Yeah, yeah exactly. How do I get home? <laughs> Uh, show it to the cab driver but where it actually came from was um when we first went to champagne we learned that for instance i'll throw it out there krug is notorious for picking very early um which is kind of interesting to think about because krug is generally a pretty powerful wine but they pick very early um and and i, I quick to digress I don't know the rules necessarily in champagne. There's there's a date range or just a, yeah. a, or, a or a chemistry range that you're allowed to pick you know, in the AOC. You know, some growers may you yeah, know push yeah, push yeah, a little yeah, yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, basically you're looking at for sparkling wine maybe on the very least ripe side, sixteen and a half bricks, seventeen bricks, and then more on the right the ripe side, you know, closer to nineteen, eighteen and a half to nineteen and a half. That's sort of the the range of of safe sparkling wine where you can get it to go through fermentation um but a lot of the grower champagnes that we respected you know cedric bouchard ulysses colen um were picking later because they wanted what's the what's with oh and every, and every time you like drop a big name i love that ulysses yeah. colen is a big name now. well you uh, know <laughs> big fancy names no, no i didn't you know i didn't ding krug <laughs> Right, because you can get that. Because you just drink that out of half bottle. Right now, I got a you like know, a, I have a like a beer. You just... I have it in a in a water cooler in my office. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, that's what happens when you sell Grenache. Um, you should try it in wood boxes. <laughs> in wood I gotta box. get, I gotta which, get wood boxes. Which Kruger are you talking about, by yeah. the way? Uh, Charles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you were talking about the other one, the famous <laughs> sparkling wine house of Charles Krug. Um, so basically, we learned that they were picking riper and kind of flirting with the edge of ripeness. And so we came up with the name being like, oh, we're picking just under the wire, right? Because when you're picking for sparkling wine, you do have a harder line than, say, you're picking white or red. Where if you pick too ripe, all right, it may not be the ideal wine that you want to make, but you can make it. Whereas, or, or it could be. Or it could be. You know, that's why they make strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla, guys, you know. <laughs> um, different flavors, you know, for different people. But, yeah, so um, that was where the name came from was sort of this quick 
under the wire, just maxing out our ripeness because we were feeling that we would get more terroir and flavor in place out of picking a little bit riper when the grapes had a little more depth to them. But, you know, then the secondary sort of um, name reasons came about of like, yes, a cage, you know, on top of the bottle is under the it's under a wire or you know also when you're talking about you know vines up on wire the grapes are under the wire Um, but that's not what we were thinking about at the time but and then the label is done by david lance goins um who's a incredible artist and poster designer and label designer now now label designers are now yeah Yeah. no i I mean it's maybe it's california yeah california artists yeah who did like the original shape and artwork he did Did the the original kenwood kenwood ravenswood Ravenswood. uh it's also just the way you say it with um gravitas and (laughs) and uh depth of feeling that makes it sound like it has to be an important name you know you could be like could be like your third grade teacher be like oh yeah I, well, and the Schaefer, well, and Schaefer, I've been lucky to be surrounded by people that are way above my class and stature. So, <laughs> well, well, I mean, I guess my thought on that also is when we talked about those labels, those labels were way back when, yeah. and and he was not who he is now, and so the fact that you know, I, mean, I was, we went in there being like, there's no way we could afford to get a David Lance Coins label, but. Um, you know, the connection to Morgan's dad um, was, you know, pretty significant to David. It's awesome. Yeah. And also he's like a Berkeley socialist, so he was quite reasonable. Uh, (laughs) In New York, that would have been much much more expensive. (laughs) I don't even know what I was going to say. I had a question lined up. Now I'm just thinking about socialism. And champagne. There's a socialism and champagne. I wish it have some event. I like that. Yeah, that we can't charge anybody for. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite kind of events, actually. No pressure. No pressure. Um, you know what? Real quick, well, because this all seems relevant. Today on my bike ride, I was finally listening to the um, Levy Dalton interview with Patrick Campbell. Mm. Um. a master class on like Sonoma Valley history. Right. Um, uh, shout outs to Katuri's, uh, uh, Mr. Peterson, uh, many other um, uh, Sonoma Valley luminaries. So uh, for all you guys out there listening, uh, check it out for sure. Levy Dalton right. with uh, Patrick Campbell talking about when, Laurel Glen. And you want to raise the conversation to a higher brow, either have Chris Cottrell on your show or just listen to Levy's show instead of ours. Is that what you're saying? He gave an incredible gift to the wine world from, uh, a, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the goat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And made me feel very special when I was 19 and I went to one of his restaurants and me and my mom were there and it was an orange wine that I can't remember, but basically he opened it for some guests and they were like, what the hell is this? Probably, you know, orange wine in 2005, but he, and what was the restaurant? I can't remember. He worked at so many places. Um, it was right. It was in Tudor City. Um, I can't remember the name of it, yeah. but he came over the table and he knew I worked at Crush, but you know, it was like 19 or 20 and he dropped the bottle on the table and was like, I think you'll enjoy this. And it was like, a, I felt so cool. That was, an, an, yeah. was going to be on mom's card. Yeah, oh, they, yeah, yeah. they couldn't be. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we were, you know, it was, you know, we were going to split a glass of wine uh, and then all of a sudden we had this bottle and I felt very cool. Yeah, that's a good shout out. We, probably, we don't have a big enough glass to ding for Levy Dalton. <laughs> I mean, I you know, before we started doing 
ours, I listened to them religiously. Oh, yeah. And I, there was a lot to be learned with, you know, the first Morgan Peterson one, the second one, you know, the, the, um, uh, yeah, all the of them. Room, they're, they're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're ever, they're like, yeah, the, it is, it's the it's, French guys that he has on. Yeah. Those are mind boggling. And the crazy thing around. is like a lot of those, like a lot of those guests rolled through crush. Like yeah. that's the crazy right, thing. Right, like right. they were, they were rolling through crush and I got to hang out with them. Yeah. Awesome. It is. I mean, it's the Library of Congress of wine podcasts, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that's it the is. it's the historical. And I know that's maybe we should transition into that is one of the goals of the Bedrock Conversations is sort of like creating that historical record, oral history. But um, certainly industry wide, worldwide, um, it's it's levy. That's the gold standard of all of that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, should we should we plug the winemakers? I mean, not the winemakers. What the, we the, should the plug the winemakers, winemakers podcast, podcast if you're uh, listening. Uh, uh, this is called and the- welcome <laughs> the winemakers podcast. Uh, yeah, we need some. We need a little bumper music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a we have a podcast that uh, called Bedrock Wine Conversations, where we uh, sometimes talk about our wines and our farming and our winemaking, and then other times we have um, guests on, including Sam. You were, I think, my second guest right. on. Yeah, um, get rid of the early crap. Yeah, and before anybody started listening. To to give you all credit, the consistency that you guys do this podcast is incredible. And you know, don't sell yourself short. Short. This is a great wine podcast. Um, Thank you. Thanks. But that's what we had you on, so you yeah. could say that. <laughs> <laughs> this was a great episode. Thanks for coming, Chris. <laughs> we're gonna wrap it. Mic drop. Uh, but yeah, we've. It's been less consistent, but I think now coming out of the last two and a half years, hopefully we're going to get a little more consistency, but we've had incredible guests on and, you know, definitely do not try and like say it has to be an hour, you know, like, which I think you guys do too, but like, you know, Carol Meredith on for three hours, really diving deep, you know, two hours with Kathy Corson, and, you know, and, and just incredible, amazing people that I'm just sitting there in awe of hearing their stories. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's a lot of fun and uh, it's very, very rewarding. And, and the historical vineyard conversation that seems to come up in every one of them um, is also, you know, it's great to have that stuff down and, um, and maybe that's a good time to plug the historical vineyard society because, you know, that group is doing some great work regardless of how hard or not hard you work. I mean, yeah, I mean, Historic Vineyard Society is, you know, um, really trying and fighting for these old line vineyards, which is very much in the mission statement of, of bedrock, you know, and Morgan's on the board and Mike officer from Carlisle's on the board and, you know, Bobby, Ollie, Tegan, Pasolacqua. Hold on. Yeah. There you go. You're a quick learner. Uh, but all those, you know, Joel's involved. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think it has a lot of, ways it can grow but they every year they do a pretty amazing event to raise money for it and i think you know there's more progress to be made um with saving old vine vineyards but at the end of the day the best way to save old vine vineyards is a to catalog them right and know where they are which was the first mission of historic vineyard society of just like where are these where are these vineyards located and like create like a a a database of these vineyards because you, you can't save them if you don't know where they are. Right. But then, you know, the real way of saving old vines is to make them economically sustainable and okay. have the consumers support these, you know, living pieces of history in California. And, 
you know, luckily compared to even when I came out here in 2013 full time to now, I mean, there's so much more interest and willingness in the diversity of wines, including old vine wines, you know, compared to 2011, 12, you know, we have an evangel on the table. And when Morgan first went out there to buy fruit, the fruit was being picked, you know, he spot bought that fruit from Frank, you know, and now, you know, after we took over the farming and we eventually purchased the vineyard in 2017, we have a waiting list for the fruit, you know, and people are asking for more fruit. So there has been this pretty incredible transition over the last decade where I feel like there's more momentum behind old vines. But, you know, when, when you compare what you pay for a, a wine that comes from a great producer, you know, not just us, there's tons of great producers out there that make old vine based wines. But when you compare what you're paying for those wines compared to like, you know, some other, you know, when you do it by year, money to year, you know, all right, this wine's selling for 50 bucks and the vines are a hundred, you know, hundred plus years old. It's like, wow, it's like yeah. 50 cents a year. <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. How many have you discovered though? Oh, I don't know the total number. I should know that number. It's gotta be, you know, it's in the triple digits by, by far. I mean, California, yeah. because of the weather, um, certainly, helps with these old vines and the varieties too. Um, you know, certain varieties are, you know, more, more apt at long lived, long lived lives. Do you have a favorite one? Everyone, come on. Everyone asked me what the favorite one, you know, favorite wine is. You the, know, uh, favorite it's the bedrock wine. that you're about to pour right <laughs> I'm now. I'm not right? talking favorite wine. I'm talking about favorite, favorite vineyard. Well, I mean, if I have to pick saved. one bedrock vineyard is number one, because that was the first vineyard I ever walked in. You know, it's the first place I ever had a, good burrito you know i mean it it <laughs> good burrito gets it too it's, it, come on a good burrito it, game changer a proper taco truck on every corner god i had no idea what the possibilities of mexican cuisine until i came out here but yeah i mean that's 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 a and also what morgan and the team did when it comes to farming out there going from like really pretty rough farming um very chemical driven and and crop driven over quality um and irrigation and sort of how that vineyard over the last 15 plus years has sort of turned it's it became sort of the foundational sort of place of where like okay this is our baseline of learning how to restore these old vine vineyards and applying that to a lot of other vineyards um that we work with and either, you know, help the grower sort of advise them on farming or direct farm them via lease or, you know, in the case of Evangelo, Katusha's and Bedrock, you know, own the land and, and farm it. Um, and, you know, Evangelo is also a very special place to me. You know, I just think it's such a trippy anti-wine country place that ultimately when you talk about soil and vine age and climate, you know, is one of the greatest places to grow wine grapes i would say in the world it just happens to be planted next to a power plant in the riverview motel with no view of the river um <laughs> that's not even a river out there anyway i mean i guess it's kind of the river sacramento river delta but it's the uh, it's, it's a it's tidal a, estuary maybe right. there river is generous yeah, yeah. i got a tech uh, q morgan where is he right. <laughs> or cody yeah. somebody to come and yeah take me out of the knees for <laughs> doubting the river qualifications yeah. of well, I mean, the Petaluma River. The Petaluma River is not a river, folks. <laughs> wow, we have river truthers. <laughs> river controversies. The winemakers podcast. 
bigger than Cool Ranch versus Nachos. All right, exactly. <laughs> all right, Bedrock Zinfandel. Sparkling wine. Sparkling wine. Oh, dude, all right. I great mean, week. the story's been told, but this version will be the best ever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely when we picked this wine, we didn't tell the first vintage in 2012. We didn't tell Joel. Uh, and I think he discovered it uh, tasting through tanks with Morgan. It was like, bedrock old vine zinfandel rose what what happened there right. and, like, ah. and it was like I'm gonna make a sparkling zinfandel and he was he was skeptical let's put it that way um, so it was it was not asked for permission it was beg for forgiveness yeah it's so many things in life are way yeah. way better to ask way for better. forgiveness yeah right. permits I mean, <laughs> always ask for forgiveness with I, the county. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and uh, so, you know, there's an interesting history with sparkling Zinfandel in the Sonoma Valley, specifically with um, Augustine Harrisy's son, Arpet Harrisy, who studied champagne winemaking and started a winery here called the Clips. And if you come to the, the taste room, you can actually see them disgorging uh, method traditional sparkling wines and it frankly doesn't look that different than how we disgorge today um just the barrel is wood instead of plastic but um he it blew up like he sold a lot of bubbles you know it wasn't like a small he he was pretty big in the sparkling wine world and pretty successful um but he wrote about making sparkling wine in the sonoma valley and said that zinfandel was one of his favorite grapes because which makes sense. Obviously, it was available. You know, there's a lot of Zin planted in 1880s, 1890s. But also, Zinfandel is a high acid grape. Like, you know, if you pick it at crazy ripeness, it's not a high acid grape. But when you're picking it at, you know, even for red at 23 or 24, but certainly when you're picking it at 19, it it's not that different from Chardonnay and Pinot when it comes to total acidity and pH and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely a wine that we had to learn how to make a little bit more mm -hmm. i think we went a little too aggressive in the early days with foot stomping and soaking and we got it was a little bit more of a, a richer wine but as we got you know learned about it it's a little more pretty and, and elegant and it's it's again cool because there is this little orange peel and fennel to the wine um that you know you you see in the red wines as well you know like in bedrock heritage wine always has this orange oil orange peel Cointreau thing to it and there is a kind of kinship between the two wines even though they're picked you know five bricks apart and is it not like without the outside of the realm of possibility that those early eclipse arapod probably came from if not this vineyard this neighborhood oh yeah he was in the hood yeah right yeah, yeah. you know i mean we can make we can turn the you know when the when the fact becomes legend print the legend so you know right well he right. totally made wine from bedrock vineyard and said it was one of the most important vineyards in all of california right and and the best place to make shark, uh, sparkling zinfandel yeah, on the yeah, planet yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> just don't tell joel for the first three years oh that <laughs> smells good though doesn't it smell good that yeah. smells good yeah. pause to smell right sparkling zinfandel mm cool ranch uh wow is there anybody else making sparkling zinfandel uh, now i'm sure i'm sure there's someone out there 
I don't know of any off the. T- I mean, I know when we started, if there was like a couple like sweet sort of more right. white zinny sort of style. I, I'm sure there's someone out there though now doing sparkling something. No, I mean pretty much everything now. It's all been done. Or there's more than one person doing it, right? Which is great. That's it's an ex- it's critical mass. I mean, my the last what I don't know how long have I been doing this. Um, a long time for someone who's 36. It's been a very exciting run of the wine world, you know, which I think is partly, you know, partly the Internet age, you know, where information became more democratized and available about wine. Um, You had more than one or two people sort of influencing the wine culture in the United States. But it's been an incredible run, you know, to see how much the industry has developed and continue to develop. I think it's amazing how much sparkling wine has grown in popularity even in the last 10 years. Yeah. I mean, there's so many categories that that applies right? to, right? Right. Um, and- I mean, if you think about that, Corbell thought that the height of the sparkling market that was going to change the world for them was, you know, when we went to 1999 to 2000. Um, and then, you know, there was oh, virtually right. Y2K, nothing Y2K, Y2K, everybody Y2K. was going to... right. It's- Celebrate airplanes falling out of the sky by popping bottles of Corbell. Uh, yeah, well, I guess maybe because I worked for it was like know. fatalistic, like that, or they they were like, no, it wasn't uh, fatalistic that they thought it was going to change. I'm mixing uh, metaphors. Yeah, blow it up. Yeah, yeah. that it was going to blow up from right. there, and then it did nothing after that, <laughs> right? And if anything, the market you know went away. Right. And now, I mean, you walk into local wine shops, and you know, people that never had grower sparkling has grower sparkling, and and people are awesome. going in and buying it. It's so fucking you know? awesome. It's just, I love it. Yeah. I love walking into wine shops now. You know, it's it's so interesting, and there's so many cool things that I have no idea about, which is incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's every day is a learning, especially out on the market, especially working markets like New York, where there's things you've never seen. You've been you spend your whole life in this, and you'll see things you've never <laughs> seen. You know. Well, it's also cool because you know not to go back to my crush days so much, but like, you know, we were the people that were like above me and like driving sort of the culture there. I mean, the wines that were coming in from the different places that weren't like that hadn't hit yet, you know, like there was a lot of, you know, Bordeaux and expensive Burgundy, but it was a lot less expensive back then, Um, you know, and champagne, a lot of Tete de Cuvée champagne, but there also was, you know, great grower champagne. But then, I mean, they were, one of the first places that actually had a real Jura section. You know, I remember case stacks at Overmois, you know, and now that's, you know, and now that's unobtainium, you know, you're not even allowed to look at that photo. And yeah, (laughs) you know, Ganavad, like again, like early, early, maybe even just direct importing it from Europe and an incredible German selection of wine, you know, and it, it it was, you know, Sherry, like I remember the first La Bota, I remember like number two and it was, you know, now seeing those wines, Cru Beaujolais, you know, now seeing those wines sort of a lot of those wines get that recognition and become not only like part of people's wine understanding, but, you know, also become kind of, you know, get the respect a lot of those wines that hadn't been respected before. It's again, it's just a right. I'm loving it. Yeah. Although I'm, it's sad that it's harder to get some allocations of right. stuff, you know, but should have. 
bought some more of that burgundy instead of spending your money doing whatever you were doing in dude, New York in those days. Dude, the the amount, the percentage of my income that was spent on wine, truly looking back, was disturbing. And it was not <laughs> mostly not for the seller. It was uh, I kind of looked at it as my master's degree. I was like, oh, credit card debt is fine. You know, it's, it's cheaper than a law degree. <laughs> yeah, and better for and I get health. to drink and I got to drink it right. And you'd have to hang out with a bunch of people who wanted to be lawyers. <laughs> hey, again, <laughs> the genera the thing. generosity of people in my life, both who I worked with and collectors, um, was incredible. Yeah, no disrespect to all of our friendly lawyers in the audience. No, they're super necessary. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We should, although wow. we need them really on both sides of the business. <laughs> We're shouting them out. Hopefully what is this? Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. What wow. is this? Wow. So 2017 Ario Evento e Amor, which is Sand, Wind, and Love in Portuguese. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to bring a bedrock wine because obviously it's you know part of my one of the most part of my life. Under the wire is fun, and you know I'm very proud of the wines, but um, bedrock is you know the the main the main thing and so we closed on evangelo in 2017 with frank evangelo whose family had been farming it since the 30s a real you know he farmed that vineyard and loved that vineyard you know it was it was it was the terroir of evangelo is did they, is frank. Did they live there they didn't live there um they lived back in the day there but they didn't live it live there when i um I we started getting into the vineyard, but um, Frank, after we closed, it was like six months later, I want to say Frank passed away, which was really heartbreaking because I I loved Frank. And again, early days of me in California, I learned a lot out there, you know, from how challenging picks can be. And but also just about caring about a place that you have such long history with. And Frank. Frank was just a great guy. And so he passed away. So we decided to make this wine in honor of him. It has his um, a photo on him, on the label with him having the sand, the famous Contra Costa sands, like that's like beach sand going through his fingers. Um, and we basically, Evangelo has this little block at the center that's sort of the most mixed section that basically has a little bit more Mataro, but basically equal Mataro um, Zin and Carignan with a little bit of Palomino and Alicante Boucher sprinkled in there. It's this little tiny block kind of at the convergence of the three different sides of Evangelo. And Frank was always like, that's my favorite block. Like, I love that block. So now we pick that out separately and make this wine from it. It has a little whole cluster on it. Um, and it just, you know, it was 2017. So it was it was a real, and now we make it every year. Um, but, you know, wine... I have such an emotional attachment to like not just the wine itself, but like the people and culture around it. Um, and that's, I think, one of the greatest gifts of being in this industry is like you do get to connect with so many people. And I really had a deep connection. So that's, you know, to, to Evangelo and Frank. So that's, you know, kind of why I brought this wine. Yeah, thank you. Also, it's yeah, delicious. Yeah. Dare I say so myself. And for those, I, you know, we've had other Evangelo wines on the show before, but to just sort of like recap what Evangelo is as an old vine vineyard um, stands out in that the it's it is all mixed blocks 
but different blocks are like different amount. Like there's like certain block is like more Carignan, yeah. certain block is more Mataro. Yeah, there's a right? the Mataro section, the Carignan section, and the Zin section, but each of those blocks are mixed, you know, but they're dominated kind of more so than say bedrock, which is, which is mixed. much more mixed, you know, but there's and even old hill and right. Yeah. An old hill, you know, um, you know, there's kind of more majority sections and we kind of pick them that way. Right. Um, but this one, this little block is just true, true big field blend. Interesting. And the, I mean, the Evangelo wines from whoever the producer, you know, we've had, uh, you know, Hardy's obviously we've had uh, Cody and Cody yeah. and Emily. I feel like there's a couple others that have showed up here. Um, they stand out. Yeah. You know, Evangelo yeah. is it's like so clear. And among a sense, you know, the peers in the Contra Costa growing region, um, it stands out. You know, it's a special place, but it's also so exciting to see there's enthusiasm for Contra Costa and. Morgan and I very much have this philosophy that, you know, if we find a great vineyard or, you know, with Evangelo or Bedrock, we want other people in that vineyard. You know, it's a big part of our philosophy um, to have other great winemakers that we love their work make fruit from there as well. And that's, you know, that I think is super interesting and, and fun to to experience, see what your friends do with the, the same place. I, I, you know, Chris, I, I love your comments about, you know, your connection with these guys. And there's something about you, like, as you said, you got to know him very well. And that connection that starts, you know, generations before starts at the ground and then it's turned over to you and you steward it into the bottle. And it's the whole thing. It's, I mean, but it's not me or it's not just Morgan. No, either, but I'm talking know. about your own emotion. To oh, it, totally. Yeah. You know? um, and I feed off of other people's emotion and energy, too. Yeah. Right. Like, but I mean, I it is so important to remember that, quote unquote, making wine is a you know, it's cheesy. It, I think it's a little cheesy, but every cork says it takes a village to raise a wine. Right. And I think it's Morgan always said like, you don't want to put this winemaker on this pedestal, which always happens, you know? Right. And I think like when you look at the people that we make wine with, whether it be growers or, you know, our team of incredible people, um, that's one of the most incredible things about the community of wine is that there's all these amazing people attached to it. And we're, we're lucky to have, people like Cody and Jake and Katie and Seth and Sarah and a whole whole bunch of the interns that we get every year that just help shepherd it along. Oh my God. It's amazing. And then to have, you know, the people that work for us also do their own thing and have their own projects. Like that's one of the most rewarding things as well. Seeing, you know, their brands. I mean, you've had what Jake, Cody and Katie on this podcast. Like, uh, Jake, Cody, Katie. Yeah. 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 Was all three of them. No, that's it. Yeah. But I mean, like, I'll, <laughs> one of and, them, and now the, well, king, the king of the interns. Oh, no. All I do is occasionally cook them burgers to make sure they don't pass out from all the work um, and open and open a lot of wine to pay it forward because people paid it forward for me. But yeah, um, one of the proudest moments or not proudest, but one of the most amazing moments ever was that pickup one of the pickup days woman comes up and she gives me her name and I, it was her first time picking up and i was like oh how'd you hear about bedrock and she was like what's bedrock <laughs> and she was there to pick up desire lines <laughs> and I, I was like yes cody look at that you fucking go dude 
or I should say you flipping go because that's more Cody language. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh darn. <laughs> the opposite of my so, New Yorker foul mouth. Did, did you um, then convert her to a Bedrock customer also? You know, I didn't even care at that moment. Okay. I was just so enthused. I was just like, I was just so enthused about that that moment. What's bedrock? No, I'm I'm here for some cold ranch riesling, yeah. man. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> exactly. How did they get the name bedrock? Where did that? Who came up with that? I think you know. I think it two parts. Um, you know, obviously Ravenswood would sold. So I think when Joel purchased the vineyard and then ultimately M- Morgan started bedrock, the idea was that it was going to be kind of the bedrock of the family, but also like old vines roots go deep down to bedrock but i definitely think like in the more philosophical sense or um metaphoric sense was that this was going to be the bedrock of of the family that might be it that might be it held we're all held up standing on the bedrock of sonoma valley <laughs> old i mines. mean I, I and i always say it's the geographical center of sonoma valley oh totally you know um you know madrone road yeah mm-hmm. yeah totally so what's what's next? What's next for Under the Wire? What's next for uh What's yeah, what's something exciting coming up? I mean, break a story. Scoop. Give us a scoop. Something oh, that something scoop, that you weren't allowed you weren't supposed to talk about yet you're going to say anyway. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> listens to this show anyway. Right. No, Def- not, they don't listen all the way true. to the end. That's why I'm so nervous. Uh I think because there was such a crazy run where we were pretty lean on staff and we were growing pretty rapidly um, in those early days. And now we're not growing. Um, we're always adjusting and you know trying out new vineyards and you know kind of trying out new things in the vineyard or cellar. There's always new things happening. But I think how I think of where we're at, either at Bedrock or, or under the wires, we're in that kind of refinement period. Um, so it's less about like big news like um it's more about like smaller incremental steps to sort of get to that next sort of phase of bedrock and under the wire you know and under the wire we definitely say is like a decade and decade project right because it just takes so long to make the wines but you know i mean there's exciting stuff like we're making solomon hills and bienecito sparkling wine you know, now, so we're going down south, which has been super interesting, interesting, and the Vinclairs are staggering, and their colors are just amazingly beautiful, um, and, you know, Bedrock, we're always bringing something on, like, we, we, we now have Beeson Ranch and Dry Creek, that's just an incredible new vineyard for us, that, you know, is all these different aspects, and old vines, and did, like, 63 micro-fermentations on it, um, not that many, but, you know, I think it was, like, eight, um it felt like that many yeah but to learn about the site right and that's that's where morgan is so such a wonderful person to work with because not only is he like obviously incredibly smart and has an incredibly high iq and is driven but he also has like a really high eq and like really cares about people and places and doing right by not just our company but like the community as a whole and that so yeah i think we're working on some stuff that maybe 
can help the community and and us grow as not just like a business but as people and help the industry grow as well you know and that's that's really an important part of my my story is that even though i didn't you know come from a lot of money and you know kind of maybe felt out of place sometimes at these big fancy dinners when i was you know young you know i had still a lot of privilege and as like a a cis white male and like if i was you know part of a systematically oppressed group of people you know or a group you know whether it be through racism sexism homophobia you know towards people of disabilities like i it would have been a lot harder for me to have the the career trajectory that i had and so like that's a lot what's on my mind recently and you know lately is that i need to do a lot more work on myself and do a lot of listening on myself to like grow and become a a better person and a better support not just for our winery but the community at whole and i think that's important for all of us to recognize so yeah i mean there's always going to be exciting vineyards morgan and cody and katie and seth they're all going to be geeking out in the cellar jake and sarah are going to always be playing with things at the vineyard you know we're planting all this cool stuff at bedrock you know that's going to come online in the next you know five years that's incredible there's all this exciting stuff in the bedrock world but i think overall like what's exciting to me now is that the wine the culture of wine is getting a is getting away from more exclusivity and at least trying to become inclusive and i think we it's 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 hard work you know particularly on on my end to to really progress in the right way where it's not just words and you know you're you're just trying to make sure that you're not that you're saying something but actually doing the work like that that's something i really want to sort of grow and learn on and you know then there's also you know a very unsexy project that bart knows about that i'm kind of working on too but you know that's the thing about the wine business right there's like a romantic side to it Logistics. that everyone yeah there's a romantic side to it that everyone idolizes but then the reality is, is sometimes you're looking at spreadsheet or sometimes you're packing boxes which is where i started it was like breaking down boxes and stocking shelves doesn't matter what level of the wine business you're in your job is to move boxes. It's yeah. And from from yeah. stock boy at a wine shop in the Upper East Side yeah, to yeah. owner of a winery. But it, your it, but, your job but, is to move boxes. But you know right? what, Chris? The I think the greatest thing you said was all that before you distracted us on to your other project. You know, I mean, what you're saying is about you know yeah. yourself and your own growth. Uh, we all need to reflect on that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, we buried the lead on that one. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> hopefully but, people listen to the end of the show because yeah. that was some important, serious shit. And I'm glad that you said it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 So. But yeah, the other stuff's, you know, fun also. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's, again, the opportunity that you have in the wine business. Like, that's why I came out here. Right. Like, right. I had a great job and, you know, was grow like making good money at 26 you know yeah. and and people when people when i told them what i was doing you know in the early days being like hey i'm gonna leave my job and go work with my best friend who's right. been making wine in a chicken coop right you know people were like for a what? couple years what are you wait what are you doing <laughs> you know good idea yeah Maybe. but like it was exciting to me because that's this industry is so diverse in what you do and you're, the problems you face on a day-to-day, -day, some are more fun, some are less fun, but it's just 
it's such a diverse business that has at its core a lot of generosity to it you know and that's that's what i i was chasing when i came out here and boy have i been fulfilled by that and, and at the end look what you've produced yeah. right like look, look at this it's not rolls of paper towels it's not boxes of cookies or it's not a sale right, right. like the highs and lows still exist in on in my world now of like you know sometimes i go into a wine shop and they're like enthusiastic and geeky and other times i go in there and they're drinking out of plastic cups and you know couldn't yeah. couldn't care less kind of and but yeah i mean the tangibility of creating something that you could drink not just when you make it but like over a lifetime yeah. that like vintage mark that capture of time in a season is one of the most beautiful things that mm -hmm. i think about in wine um for sure and then you know back in the day it was like you know the high i would get would be like you know selling a thirty thousand dollar case of wine you know but then now it's like there's so many other highs and exciting things and moments of feeling really proud where it's not about money or prestige right the the fancy bottle you're drinking it's about man that bedrock zin that has bubbles in it <laughs> tastes pretty good and i know joel is going to want a larger allocation you know <laughs> right on well i may have joked but this really has been a, a master class in chris cottrell Oh my man, god! I appreciate uh, time appreciate flies you. with y'all. Oh man! <laughs> well, time it's flies with five bottles of California sparkling, a bottle of 2019 Tompier, and the um, <laughs> I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Uh, Evangelo here, <laughs> uh, uh, homage to Frank you, Wine. You are you event more and uh, yeah, like you said, I don't speak Portuguese. Shout out uh, to all y'all for what you do for the wine industry because this is part of that, and uh, a lot of the wine industry is is telling stories of people. So. You guys do a great job of storytelling. That's the so, idea. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Thanks, uh, man. Thanks. All right. Now That's we got to find some French onion dip for uh, yeah. the ruffles. Right. <laughs> and, 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 we'll, and let's one more time. Uh, you are under the wire at under the wire on Instagram at under the wire wines on Instagram. Yep. Uh, you find it online under the wire dot com. Yep. Make an appointment. The pretty much the best day you can have on the plaza in Sonoma is a tasting at Bedrock and it's a tasting cool, at 16600. It's and, a good it's a good one to have yeah. a punch of We get old, there's a lot of people who do, yeah, are on that yeah, tour. Yeah. Old old cool houses that are small and intimate and you know we have a lot of history that you can geek out on at the Joseph Lee Hooker house and we have great people working there. Um Grant Nista and Jackie and you know we pour some cool old vine wines there and yeah it's a you know it's part museum part tasting room and yeah, come on by and uh, geek out on some Sonoma history. We'd love to love to have you. Yeah, definitely you make know. an appointment. And Bedrock Wines, Doc. You know, Bedrock. Oh, wine Bedrock Wines. Bedrock, Bedrock Wine Code. Can you buy those wines? Of course, you can buy those <laughs> wines. We're doing a release in two weeks, everyone. It's a it's an epic right. release. The the I always know that the new season is about a month away when I get the Bedrock email <laughs> talking about that season. I'm like, it's. The fall release? It's fucking August 1st, guys. Come on. I, I haven't even been to Tahoe for a week yet this summer. Or when you were showing Verasion, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we love getting people all riled and, up with those Contra Costa and, and, there's, and there's nothing like a, a Morgan Peterson uh, release letter uh, as far as the history. And then you pair that with the podcast and it's 
It goes yeah. back to that master class so thing. Morgan totally. is like Hamilton. He's right. He writes like he's running out of time. Like the, <laughs> the man is the man is an incredible writer. I, I, I what I appreciate about the Morgan emails or many things, but um, for every time I get pushback from members of my team on how long my emails are, I'm like, right. yeah, but it's three pages shorter than Morgan's last email, so I'm still good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Happy medium, finding yeah. balance yeah. In, in pursuit of in pursuit of happiness right. and balance. That's yeah. what it's all about, man. <laughs> all right, uh, make an appointment, buy the wines, follow the man. If yep. you see he's coming to your town or anywhere near your town, go find him because yeah. uh, he's even better in person. Yeah. yeah, you guys are the best. I love you all. Drink more sparkling Zinfandel. Drink more sparkling <laughs> Zinfandel. Uh, subscribe, review, uh, and episode. 200 and 239 incredible let's round it up episode 250 <laughs> chris control <laughs> all right thanks for listening everybody